this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we're offering three conversations from episode 50, the exciting world of innovative dynamic imaging. In this conversation, Ataros Medical Chief Medical Officer Lars Johansson discusses the rest of the key items from his recent Paris Nash talk briefly and one or two things he never mentioned in Paris. After that, I invite the group to, as I put it, dare to dream about what these innovations in imaging and even more striking, the kinds of knowledge we can pursue will do to change research, diagnostic, and drug development dramatically. Everyone's answers are revealing. To me, this episode moved so quickly, it felt a bit like drinking from two fire hoses at once. The story it tells is exhilarating and powerfully optimistic. So even if you have to listen twice, do it. Sit back, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the conversation on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion group. Lars Johansson. You also mentioned the MRE and, and the new data on, on the prognostic value there. Another important aspect which I also talked about was the development of the 3D MRE when I was in Paris, which I also think is, is really nice because that also shows that it's much more sensitive also to lower grade fibrosis, which we kind of been missing where it's been fairly flat and deploying. I think that's also why we haven't seen that much treatment effects is because it's fairly flat in the low grade fibrosis stages, but it takes off in F3 and definitely an F4. With that, you also can assess the difference between an F1 and an F2 and an F2 versus an F3. So I think that's another aspect which I also mentioned in my talk in Paris. Another point which I didn't talk about there is data that we've been looking into. You, you mentioned the HVPG and the complexity of HVPG assessment. And, and really, is there an alternative? You no, know, there's been some work done a long time ago. There's a very nice paper published already in 2009 by Liu and colleagues that was a HEPB cohort and they looked at spleen volumes and, and if you just such a simple thing as long as you don't have a very late stage disease you can actually assess also the hemodynamic effects and the pressure and potentially increased pressure which you see by such a simple thing as looking at spleen volumes it's shown in that paper very nicely that if you have a stage three versus a stage one you your spleen volume is doubled however if you go into a decompensated situation that probably doesn't work anymore and the reason being that then your spleen is also, I discussed it with Massimo Pinsani when we were in Paris, and I think the reason is that because you don't see a treatment effect if you have very long-standing, very high HVPG on spleen. If you're below 10, I think it's actually very linear between pressure, stiffness, and, and spleen volumes. We will be showing some data on that at the ASLD with the novel treatment, how it affects also spleen volume. So I think there's a lot more we can do to understand the hemodynamics on both the liver. You can use the spleen. It's, you get it in the same. You can look at liver function. You can integrate all of these things into a single assessment and learn so much more of what your drug is doing, both on the hemodynamic side, on, on the fibrosis side, on the liver, on the fat side, etc. So I think that's where we are going in many of our trials. So Lars, I have to confess, I'm absorbing all this mostly with my jaw open. Louise, you have any comments or any thoughts or are you kind of in the same place I am just going, oh, wow, oh, wow? Well, I think I'm in exactly the same place that you're in. My dare to dream is at the moment we stratify people to try and exclude disease, exclude disease and exclude disease to get them to the fine point of having biopsy so that we take the ones that are the risk but 
this opens up being able to, for me, test people and give them a real easy timeline to be able to be continually assessed in a way that allows volume of patients to come through that biopsy and stratification in the ways that we currently do don't. So mass location, mass ability to look at people with severe disease or moderate disease, monitor, implement, monitor, implement, absolutely becomes a reality. So I think I'm definitely in the same place you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. And then the other place I am, if I read the conversation right in Stephen's comment and, and, and a whole bunch of what Lars is saying, is that you can think about the whole the, the liver in the context of the whole patient. One of the things we talked about in this podcast since the beginning is not only is the liver regenerative, but it's really complex and it's involved in so many things, but not always in ways that you can easily tease apart. But this would give you, if I understand correctly, the ability, certainly in very sick patients, Lars, you've eloquently explained all the things that we can do as we get later into fatty liver disease, F3 and ontocirrhosis. But it appears that what you have with the combination of all these techniques is the ability to look at a much more complex picture of the liver. So for patients with multiple metabolic challenges at the same time, kind of classic patient we're talking about, diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular, liver, whole nine yards, where do you think this would provide the greatest value there in a way that you can see? Some of these techniques, I really think we can scale up into large clinical trials, and you could even think of moving into the diagnostic side of it. And some of them are really for understanding the pathophysiology. I mean, the PET tracers, I don't think will be scaled up to that size of diagnostics, at least not in the liver space. It could eventually be done so in some lung disease. We have indications that it works well also for lung fibrosis. In the clinical trial development, I think the ability to make the right decisions early and not necessarily expose patients to drugs that doesn't do what we think they're supposed to do is of great value. If you think the PDFF, the MRE, gadoxetate, spleen assessment, those you can deploy into a single examination taking no more than 20 minutes and really understanding the different parts. We even look at ascites in trials and, and quantify that. So the, how are you transferring from compensated to decompensated? So I don't think we know everything and we need to have very close interaction between people like Stephen, us and, and people knowing circulating biomarkers to really get the full value out of these different techniques and, and which to be used where during the disease progression and during the change in treatment paradigm here. So Stephen, back to you. Thoughts? So we've talked about a lot today. Just as there is a lot of really cool drugs in development, several in late stage development, and we're looking towards combination therapy we don't need to be so short-sighted that we're just focused on drugs and a liver biopsy. In parallel, we need to be cognizant of the field of non-invasive tests and how they can help us kind of mold drug development for different phenotypes of patients with NASH with various degrees of fibrosis. As we've alluded to many times on this podcast, one size does not fit all and all patients aren't created equal. So there will be a need for different therapies, different combinations, targeting different patient profiles. And where MR technology, where PET tracer technology, where imaging technology can help us, we need to be more aware of that. And so this was kind of an eye-opener for me. I mean, I, I work with a lot of non-invasive testing strategies, but there's so much more that I don't know that I think it was serendipity that I got to go to that meeting and hear Lars and kind of have my eyes open to additional tests that are out there that we should potentially be leveraging 
to try to speed up drug development for this field and get to target therapies that can change the lives of our patients. We've talked about this this epidemic of NASH and, and the rising rates of moderate to severe liver disease. We need to get to answers quickly for our patients. The tools that Lars has mentioned today have a role to play in this arena and can help us get there quicker. Lars, I'm going to let the penultimate word be yours, and then I've got one small comment at the end. What do you see that we are not, or what about what we're talking about? If you had to pick the one thing that excites you most, where would you go with that? Answer either question. What are we missing, or what do you see as the most exciting thing in all this? The combination of the static assessments that we are used to, but looking into the functional, the expression, not in real time, but in very fast seeing how we affect disease, for instance, by up or down regulation of of PDGF or beta or other targets, you name it. I think being able to see that you affect the disease in a very early fashion, which we can do with some of these techniques, is really important and vital for our understanding and not to spend time on mechanisms that doesn't make sense. I I think I really hope we get there so we can, like Stephen said, really bring out medicines to patients much faster in the future here. And and there will be still a lot of, of drugs coming by and we need to understand what they do better than we do today by just looking at biopsies. Okay, great. So we're just getting kind of towards the end of our time available. And I do have a closing question. But before that, Lars, we've done 94 of these today, you know, and then side conversations also. This might be, to me, at least the most mind expanding of all 94 of them. The stuff that you're talking about, um, as I say, I've been sitting here with my jaw gate for about half of it. I'd like to invite you to come back on a maybe every two or three month basis and just share with us what's new and what steps are we taking down the various paths that we're talking about here, learning the fundamental underpinnings of disease, being able to improve drug development, providing specific benefit in F3 and F4 where people have to figure out how the pieces fit together and maybe one or two others. But if you're willing to do that, I would love to have that because I think this has just been an amazing session, at least for me, I hope for everybody who's listening to it as well. I know Louise and I have been sending text messages, so I know she's with me on this. So please, please come back every couple, three months. We'd love to have you. That would be my pleasure. Very exciting. Great. So with all that last question, it's hard to do this in an hour, a lot of which was mind-blowing, but the one thing you heard in the last hour that blew your mind the most, and Lars, I guess my question for you is what's the one thing you want people to take away from this? Let me start with you, and then we'll go with what's been blowing everybody's minds. What's the one thing you would like listeners to take out of this conversation? The definition of NASH is based on biopsies, and unfortunately, that is only looking at things that shouldn't be in the liver. I, I really think we need to assess the dynamics of the liver and the good thing that should be in the liver, which are the hepatocytes and how they work. So I think that's that's my takeaway, I think. Okay, that's great. Brave one, go next. If we are going to get beyond the biopsy and get to that fifth generation strike fighter, laser focused on different phenotypes of NASH, we, we need to have this type of outside-the-box thinking and assessing the dynamics of hepatocyte function, stellate cell function, macrophage function, to the ability that we can do that with imaging, I think, is very exciting. We'll hear more in the future about single-cell RNA, the doors that that's opening up to our understanding of hepatocyte and stellate cell function, and then how that can be blended with imaging technologies to further assess the dynamics of that interaction relative to different diseases and exposures to different things, even like alcohol, for instance, I think is, is really exciting. 
So lots more to do. Just when you think we have, you know, a, a certain disease figured out, we're, we're opened up to a, a whole new opportunity, if you will, to even dive deeper and to learn more. So Lars, it's been fabulous having you on today. Thank you for opening my eyes and Roger's eyes and Louise's eyes and hopefully those of our audience as well. And can't wait to see what you have to tell us next. Amen to that. Louise, you're up. I found the entire session um, exhilarating and exciting. It was what Lars was saying towards the end, particularly for patients in the context that if you can look at the liver and know when a drug is not working quite early on in the time frame, we can prevent exposure to medications that aren't going to work. But also from a drug's trial perspective, we can stop a medication that's not going to work quite early in its process and therefore be cost-effective in drug development. So that for me was exciting and if I heard that correctly. But so, so no, the whole session was exciting. So thank you, Lars. It's been fantastic. And, and I agree with everything that my colleagues have said. And and because uh, I like simple metaphors, I'll use a simple metaphor. I've kind of felt that we've had not even a two-dimensional understanding of this disease, but maybe a 1.5-dimensional understanding of this disease. And this feels like a three-dimensional look at it, maybe even four encompassing time, but a much more vivid way to understand what's going on at a level of detail we've not had previously. I find it immensely exciting. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the others or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, October 20th, to discuss fibrosis with Scott Friedman, who Stephen has described as the father of fibrosis. It should be as enlightening and energizing as this week's episode. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.